Okay, hey, some of you will be, well, most of you will be aware of the March for Life that took place yesterday. Um, I mean, the, dis- the point in discussion. Can you go back to the first slide, please, Nikki? Uh, the thing in discussion is, you know, when is, a, when is life life? And one of the things I did there, which is quite powerful, is they played the, the real-life uh, heartbeat of someone who was pregnant just a few weeks there. And they asked the question, is that not life? And, um, and you know the new bill that's, that's been uh, debated, you know, is you know, should we allow full-term abortions? It almost sounds unbelievable that it's even been discussed there. But that's legislation the government is wanting to pass. And look, they were talking about that yesterday. And look, people were out there. Uh, look, Charles, I got you. You didn't, didn't know that, did you? There you are. Uh, hey, big brother is watching. So look, you know, I think there was several thousand people and just marching around the streets of Adelaide. It was lovely to see that the, the town, the city, at a standstill, the cars, and people taking notice, you know, videoing and, and all sorts and, and hopefully the message is getting out there uh, both to the community and to those in power you know that this is a serious matter here's the point is that the march was for saving the lives of young children little children babies are unborn and another lady and she told her testimony and it's really quite moving who went through an abortion, had a baby, as we said last week, killed, and living with that. And look, and here's the thing, no matter how wrong that is, that was, she's still a person who is still alive, who needs acceptance and loving and being treated like a person. And she gave a testimony how she felt initially, first of all, the love of God for her still, knowing, acknowledging what she'd done wasn't good, wasn't right. And then how her church community welcomed her and loved her and walked with her and gave her the counsel and the care that she needed. It was a lovely story. And it just reminded me, because you know, cause I was in the just midst of finishing my sermon, and I thought it just really corned up what we're looking at today. Hey, look, it's easy for churches. I mean, the world out there won't treat her necessarily the same, but churches in particular can just write them off. That was horrible. That was terrible. How could you? You're wicked. You're evil. And, and it's easy just to write someone off, isn't it? What would Jesus have done? He would, regardless, Nikki. Thank you. And, and that's how she was treated. And I'd love to think that that's how she'll be treated here at Living Word Bible Church. And I tell you that because it does, it leads into what we're looking at today. We're back in Esther. We're going to finish chapter one. So sorry, people. I don't know how this is going to work with the timing of your thing, but we're finishing chapter one today. Uh, look, we've had so far the extravagance and pomp of world empires finally come to nothing. Last week we had seemingly inconsequential acts have far-reaching effects. Now today, as we finish the chapter, the incomprehensible grace of the Lord Jesus 
Christ. The incomprehensible grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You should be sitting there and thinking, what do you pay this guy? Where's Jesus in that story? And why is he bothered about Jesus? Tell us about Esther. What's he doing? Where's he going? Why am I getting this point from this passage? Someone tell me. What license do I have to do it? What right? Why am I doing it? Someone tell me. Because? Because? Because it's about Jesus. Because all scripture. What did Jesus say? He said to the Pharisee, John 5 verse 39, you fools, he's saying effectively, you diligently search the scriptures, you read Esther, you read about Xerxes, and yet you refuse to come to me. Because all scripture is about Jesus. If you read Esther and you haven't grown closer to Jesus or seen something more about Jesus or learned more about Jesus, leave the book, man. Just get to church more often. Okay? Seriously. It's all about Jesus. We're going to see that together. And so here's the message that we're looking at today. The incomprehensible grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 13. You'll notice some of these names sound a bit different because nobody knows how to pronounce these names. I mean, you had no idea. Who knew how to pronounce Montaz before I came on the scene? Ricky? If you saw that on a piece of paper, what would you have said? Oh, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> nobody does. Yeah, you may have done. Nobody does. There's a number of people who get my name wrong. Seriously. I mean, you would have, of course. I mean, it's not that hard. I get called all sorts. You know, oi. But, you know, like Montez and, you know, and all, I'm like, come on, it's simple. Two syllables. Mon and a Taz. And you, Aussies, you've got a Taz. So it's even easier for you, okay? But these names, no one knows how to pronounce them. So look, we'll do our best. Since it was customary for the king to consult experts in matters of the law and justice, he spoke with the wise men who understood the times and who were closest to the king, Karshena, Shetha, Admatha, Tarshish, Merish, Marsena, and Mamukan, the seven nobles of Persia and Media, who had special access to the king and were the highest in the kingdom. So look, Bashti defies the king. Okay, the king is in a rage. Worse than this one, this is a pretend one. He's in a rage, okay? Okay, okay. But he's incompetent. I've seen something about these kings of ancient times that they needed people to make decisions for them. Okay, if you're a bloke like that, you need help. Okay, pull your socks up. Okay, right. Uh, look, uh, he needed someone to make his decisions for him. He's, he's at a loss. He, he doesn't know what to do. You know, and so he calls together these advisors. Now, what's normal, normal Persian protocol? If you wanted to see the king, what's normal Persian protocol? Make an appointment. Well, sort of, almost. You have to hope. That if you dare go before him, if he doesn't extend the scepter, we're going to see this later. Okay, you're in trouble. But these guys have special security clearance. You see, on a Saturday evening at 8 o'clock, Lee has a special license to walk through those doors, armed, and set this place up. Okay? Right, okay. These guys got special access to the king. And so, so they come at will. Now, now the king wants their wisdom. Look, according to law, what must be done 
to Queen Vashti, he asked. Okay, Because she hasn't obeyed, obeyed the king. And look, the response comes from the leader of this sect. There's the only way you can describe them. Okay, uh, The leader of this sect, Mimukin, Okay, with a name like that. What do you expect? Okay, uh, okay, Mimukin, okay. Mimukin replied in the presence of the king and the nobles, Queen Vashti has done wrong, not only against the king, but against the nobles and the peoples and the provinces of Xerxes, for the queen's conduct will become known to all the women. They'll all know about it. They'll all despise their husbands. And King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she wouldn't come. This very day, starting now, this is urgent. Okay, the Persian and the Median women, everybody in the kingdom, every woman in the kingdom who hears about it will think, well, if it's not good enough for Vashti, it's not good enough for me. And we're going to have a worldwide revolt. What is this? It's a P word. What is this? It begins with P. What's the, how would you describe this man's thinking? It is pathetic. There's another one. It is Lee. It's pathetic. What's the other one? P-A-R. How does that actually get prayer from P A R? I don't know, me. He's paranoid, for goodness sake, man. He's paranoid, isn't he? One small act, and the whole kingdom is going to fall apart, okay? This is paranoia, you know, at the highest level. But this guy with, who's paranoid has got a lot of power. He's the inner seven of the circle that's surrounded by the king, and he uses his power to manipulate the king into issuing an edict, which the king regrets. You'll see in chapter 2, it's clear he regrets this. Okay, And to put something into Persian law, and there's, a, there's an issue about Persian law. What, what is it about Persian law? Once something goes into Persian law, can't be undone. You, can't, you can't undo it. It's irrevocable, and he gets him to do something on a whim, he sees, uh, that's irrevocable. Therefore, if he pleases the king, let him issue a royal decree, okay? Let it be written in the laws of the Persians and the Medians, okay? Which cannot be revealed. The Vashti is never going to enter the presence of the king. And let, her, let the king give her royal position to someone else who's better than her. Then the king's edict is proclaimed throughout the vast empire. All the women will respect their husbands from the least to the greatest. You'll nip this thing in the bud. Okay, the king and his nobles were pleased with his voice, and so did so Mamukin, Mamukin, uh, the thing he proposed. Why do you think the king was pleased? You're a chap. Think about it. Why do you think he was pleased? Because it stroked his ego. Yeah, and he gets a new woman. Okay, this suits him. Okay, and no doubt, who knows what the relationship was like there, but look, this is a new opportunity for him, and look, you know, he's not going to turn this down. And so he agrees. The decree goes out. Okay. It's multilingual. Look, it goes out in the language uh, okay, of every tongue of each people so that every man should be ruler of his household. Normally these were trilingual things. They went out in three languages. One of them was Aramaic, the language that Jesus spoke five centuries later. This goes out in every language of the kingdom. Because, okay, Mamukin, at least, wants to be sure no one can misunderstand this. And it's, it's a massive logistical task. I mean, look, I don't know if you follow world news, but at the moment in Myanmar, there's no internet. 
Okay? Yeah. It's been shot down to control the populace. You can't imagine that, can you? See, there you go. Look, now, can you imagine? Look, hey, how do we communicate? Uh, I want to see Helen. Well, obviously, people work better with Pippa. Where's Pippa? Hey, uh, I wanted to see Pippa, okay? Almost always, the way I contact Pippa, or she contacts me, is through a Facebook message, okay? What does that need? The internet. We're so used to communicating over vast areas. You know, I heard from my brother in the UK this, this week, you know, got a lowdown on the situation there. How? Through the internet. How was this message going to get out? <laughs> not there, not there, not there. Yeah, on foot, on horse. From relay points, from one courier to the next courier to the next courier. Okay, this has to be, once you write it down, you stick it in the Xerox machines and you duplicate it a thousand times. No! This has to be hand-duplicated. It's a mammoth task to get this thing into law, and yet it's done. So Vashti then, okay, because of her what crime of disobeying the king on one occasion, okay, is punished by being stripped of her royal position and of her union to the king. On one, on one strike. We were joking, the guys, when we were doing temping bowling, because some of them were getting strike after strike after strike. Show-offs. I can show off like that as well if I wanted to, but it just doesn't set a good example, does it? <laughs> okay? <laughs> yeah, you know, seriously, you know, come on. I had to lose, didn't I? Okay, well, so we, I had to say to the guys, look, if you get three strikes, you're out. Okay? Three strikes, you had the game. You're going home, okay? We don't want your sort here. Okay? <laughs> Queen Vashti, okay? One strike. As far as we know, the king has never had an issue with her. Okay? One strike. One thing. Okay? And, and, and notice the power he wields. Okay? He robs her of Everything, okay, takes away her crown, her throne, okay, it relegates her to, to a place where, where she'll never have anything to do with him again, okay, humiliates her, okay, robs himself, all because of one incident, drunken incident, okay, now what do you think of that? And here's the thing, if you look anything into the history of Xerxes, he discovered that this was akin to how he dealt with people. Herodotus, a historian, I've got a picture of him here. Well, not a picture, there weren't cameras in those days, did they? Okay, uh, uh, the best as I think he may have looked. Okay, um, a, a historian, he writes about Xerxes. And he says there were incidences in his life that were like this all the time. There was an incident once when he was having a breach built for his army, for his campaign against Greece. Remember we said that was underlying why he was showing off? When, because of a storm, the workmen failed to complete the bridge on time, because of a storm, he beheaded all the workers. 
that, that's down in, in the annals of history. And, and so you can see, can't you, that, 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 that this is, what he's doing to Vasti is it, just, it's just an example of how he dealt with people. Merciless, unrelenting, okay, unconcerned. And it, it, it reminds us, friends, Xerxes reminds us that it's a, it's a terrible world out there. It is a cutthroat world that is out there. Heartless and cold. Look, I could tell you about Idi Amin and how he ruled. Pol Pot. We consider that at the beginning of this series. Stalin, okay? Kim Sung. More recently, as Saddam Hussein, some of the stories you hear about how he treated dissenters. Hey, be careful, even a Robert Mugabe. Most recently. And what about Hitler? We'll have this slide, please, Mike. Do you know, that is such a universal image. You've only got to put that picture up on the screen and every person in the room instantly knows what that's summarising. It's an ugly, terrible, cutthroat world out there. And this is how people have led and governed. And although we don't see it, it, it behind the suits of some of our modern people in power, oh, believe me, that kind of stuff goes on in some measure. somewhere. It's a cutthroat, okay, merciless, cold world out there where there are no second chances. So why is this in Scripture? Why is this recorded? Why is this a part of how Esther begins? If we can see Jesus in all the Scripture, what do we, what's Xerxes telling us about Jesus What's Xerxes? You're going to do this in the Bible course. And if you don't know the answer, you should be on the Bible course. I've got to recruit for the course, you see. No matter how powerful someone thinks they are, God is more powerful. Yes, it certainly tells you that. So in a positive sense, there's someone much bigger than God. Another thing I was thinking, Bron, is when Scripture speaks about Jesus, it's not always speaking about him directly. It's giving contrast and polarisation. Now let me ask the question again. How is he speaking about Jesus? It's the contrast. It's showing you everything that Jesus is not. You get it? It's showing you the worst image so that you can see the most perfect image. What do you do with diamonds? If you want to bring out the brilliance of diamonds, you know, like you know, you you carry them around your back pocket like... They're grains of rice. I've seen you. You know, when you meet in those quiet corners with those cloaked, those figures, and you, what do you, do, what do you do when you hand over diamonds? Okay, right, you know, if you want to show off diamonds, where, where do you place them? On your finger. Yeah, you can. On blackest black cloth. If you want to paint how beautiful Jesus is, what do you do? You take a character like Xerxes and you, what do you do? You paint 
his utter depravity. So then, then scripture puts them next to each other and you see the brilliance of Jesus. Here's Jesus. Here's what's said about him. And remember, this is a ruler. Okay? This is the king, the greatest of all rulers. John 1. This is how he's introduced. Okay? This is how he comes on the world scene. How are we introduced to Xerxes? He's a tyrant, unable to make a single decision for himself, being manipulated into doing the wildest, craziest, most disgusting, disproportionate things. That's how he's introduced. How's Jesus introduced? John 1. Listen to this. And he came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. The law. There was a time when people of faith were dealt with by law. Seriously. By the law that God inscribed. But here's what happens with Jesus, okay? For the law was given through Moses, but with Jesus is coming. Here's how he's introduced. What does he bring? He brings a new era of? Yes, thank you. That sums it up perfectly. But the words in this text? Grace and truth. You have to understand what's being said here. Jesus is ushering in a new... What did we just say? What did we just say? That the blood of the covenant was... I've just given it away. What did we say that the blood was doing? A new covenant, a new era, a new legal system, a new legal framework, a new way where God deals with people. You see, the law came through Moses. That's how God dealt with people. And if you fell short of the law, you felt the heavy hand of the law. But what does Jesus do? He brings a new era of grace. It's, it's a new way of governing. It's a whole new concept that the world has never known where no leader could have ever envisaged that he would deal with his subjects in such a way. But Jesus ushers in a place whereby when, he, when, when something goes wrong, when you, when you break the rules, he doesn't throw the book at you. It's what's been said. It's, it's, what's been said is, is that when, when, you, when you make a mess of it, he doesn't rub your nose in it. But instead moves in and restores things to order and beauty. It's a whole new world. If you want to know what Jesus' rule looks like, it's in perfect contrast to Xerxes. That's that's the message of Esther 1. If you don't get that, you've missed Esther 1. Rip it out and start at chapter 2. Okay, the message of Esther 1 is that Jesus is everything that this despot, is not. And he brings in an era of grace and truth. Have you ever wondered why, why people flocked to Jesus? They couldn't keep him at bay. How many people came were listening to him when he fed them with five, with five loaves and two fish? How many people, roughly how many people were, don't get this one wrong, how many people were, roughly how many people were listening to him? No! You got it wrong! Come on. What do you pay me for? I'm, I'm, I'm a terrible teacher, don't I? I can't even get that one across. Men! So how many people are there? More than 5,000. That was the answer, okay? About 15,000, 20,000 people. Get, a, get it in your mind, okay? okay? You know, it looks my fault. I'm the teacher here. So if you don't know, it, it's my fault. 
Okay, Emma, when Tiffany comes home last year, which is going wrong, I blame you. Okay, right, okay. So look, I'm going to do a better job this year. It was 5,000 men, so there were many more people, probably anything near 20,000 people. Why did they flock to him? Why did tax collectors and sinners, the worst of society, seek him out? Why? Because they heard he treated people differently. That was a message getting around. That he was one who was nice to you when you were bad. And when you got it wrong, he had mercy on you. He abandoned the one-strike policy. Or even the three-strike policy. That's why they flocked to him. They'd never encountered someone in authority who treated people, bad people, outcast people, unwanted people, the despised people, like the way Jesus did. It's why they flocked to him, because he came from the Father not armed with thou shalt not. If you read the New Testament like that, you haven't read it properly. Okay? He came to them full of grace and truth. The law came through Moses, but Jesus brought grace and truth. He related to people, especially the marginalised of society, in a way that nobody had ever seen. It was in complete contrast to Xerxes. Look, I'm, my time is running out, so I can't go through all of these I've got here. But let me just run through some of the ones I've got here. How he treated Nicodemus. Nicodemus thought he knew. Oh, he thought he knew. Oh, I know. I can see the kingdom of God. I know you're from God. He didn't know a thing. And Jesus treated him kindly, spoke to him, gently led him to the kingdom. When the leper and the woman with the issue of blood came to him, what should he have said? Who said that? Yeah. Get out of here! And what does he do? Because I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm willing. When, when, when that sinful woman, everyone knew she was a sinful woman. You could tell it. Look at the way she dressed and smelt. And you could hear the jewellery tingling away. It's like when Sarah came in here this morning. Okay? You could hear all that jewellery. They all knew what she was like. Okay? What did, Jesus, what did Jesus allow her to do? Yeah. Touch him. He allowed... A sinner to touch him. And, 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 thing, and no, I want you to know this. She, she wasn't just tapping his back. How do you think this looked? It was intimate. He allowed her to touch him. The woman caught in adultery. Who Moses, what would Moses have done to that woman in adultery? He would have stoned her. Jesus, have mercy. To the woman who had, okay, the woman who slept with every guy in her village. What did Jesus do with her? John 4, the woman of the well. Talk to her. 
Talk to her like a person. Be friend. Yes. Talk to her like she was a person. Not like a sexual object. Like every other guy in the village obviously treated her. But treated her like a person. And he goes on and on and on. And what about Peter? I mean, this guy, goodness sake, he, he spent three years with Jesus. He heard all of Jesus' sermons. He saw Jesus' power. For goodness sake, he used Jesus' power, didn't he? And what did he promise Jesus? What did he promise him? On oath. If everybody else... I well, What did he promise him? And three times. Three times. Three times within the rain, not a couple of years after he promised this, within a few hours of promising Jesus he would never betray him, three times denies he knew him. What did Jesus do to him? You know what I would have done? You know what I would have done? I would have banished him from his leadership role in that team and replaced him with a better disciple. What does Jesus do? He appoints Peter. Look at these words. Next one, please. Next one. Do you know what Jesus was doing in those words? Feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Jesus appointed Peter to be the leader of all his disciples, to be the leader of the global church that he was establishing. Peter. So why the Roman Catholic Church has popes. They claim that they follow on from Peter. You see, friends, we have one here who restores bad people. Who heals the needy who transforms lives. And here's the thing, how many times do you think Jesus would have put up with Peter's sinfulness? How many times do you think he would have put up, for it, put up with it? You've got to exceed. That's the answer. It's there. How many times? What did he tell Peter? I tell you, don't forgive him seven times. How many times would Jesus have put up with Peter's denials or whatever else he may have done. How many times? 70 times 7. What, what? That's a number of infinity. You see, there's never an end. Jesus demonstrates that it's not one strike or two or three or seven or 70 times 7. But with him, in the era of grace, that whenever you come to him, however you come to him, whatever mess you make of your life. However far you fall, whatever you're like, however useless you're like, however many other people reject you. When that tax collector and sinner stood before God and the tax collector cried out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. If you were a tax collector, you were a terrible person. Robbing your own people. What does Jesus say? About him, verse 14, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, 
when home justified. Here's a message, friends. It's a cutthroat world out there. One striker, you're out. If there's something wrong with you, you're out. If you're the wrong colour, you're out. If you're the wrong gender, you're out. If you're the wrong ethnicity, you're out. If you put your foot wrong, you're out. If you're not intellectually suitable, you're out. It's a cutthroat world out there. In here, this is Jesus' realm. He's here, friends. And whatever shape, size, colour, background, or the gravity of your fall from grace, whatever you look, hey, if you're anything like me, you've lived a less than perfect life this week. Did you wake up, or were you thinking last night, hey, I don't know if I should be going tomorrow. If they knew what I was really like, how can I face God? How can I sing? How can I be there, sitting with all those holy people? Let me tell you something, Ben. Lee's no holier than you. Okay? Or Ralph. Or, hey, hey, can I tell you something? When we start looking at one another and thinking, I wouldn't do that, or I haven't done that, I'm not like that. You're a bunch of criminals in jail cells comparing yourself to other criminals. Seriously. We're all, in some way or another, one way or another, failing God, are less than what he expects of us. And here's Jesus. You see, here's what he does with us. When we come to him, he treats us like he treated the leper. He treats us like he treated Nicodemus. He treats us like he treated that sinful woman. He receives you. He loves you. He fixes you. He restores you. He fills you with his presence. He gives you himself. He promises to walk with you, to abide with you, to never forsake you. And he tells you that you will never again no, Romans A1, condemnation. Someone asked me recently, what a stupid question. Is God going to judge Christians? What a stupid question. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It's a Christian. Hey, go and come back next week, okay? Come back. No matter where you've been, where you go this week, what you do, what you like, Jesus welcomes you. Come, confess your sin to him, cast yourself upon him and receive his grace and mercy and go out again. Okay? You belong here. There's a place for you, a seat with your name in this church every week. It will never be put away. It's always Got your name on it. Jesus is a king. Nothing like Xerxes. Everything you see in Xerxes, Jesus is the brilliant, brilliant, polarised 
version of it. He come from the Father, full of grace and truth. The incomprehensible grace of the Lord Jesus Christ.